You're live. What this button do, Jeeves? For business owners. By business owners. This is the Prime Income Podcast. Joe and Andy, you guys have, have known each other for a while. Joe, how did you guys meet? Start us off. Actually, Andy, uh, his son, Seth, was kind of the uh, catalyst for the whole thing. He had been watching stuff that goes on and reading a lot with another guy we work with, Jeff Sexton. Started bringing our stuff to Andy. Eventually, they decided, hey, we want to get a hold of these guys and see about bringing them on for advertising purposes. And so we flew up to Cleveland. It was a really funny story because... Jeff thought we were supposed to be there at six o'clock in the morning. So we showed up at 5.30 a.m. in Cleveland, Ohio at Andy's shop. There we are, and no one else is there. No one, absolutely nobody shows up. And then one person came in, and we didn't know who that was. So they said, well, let's go get breakfast at Don's Cafe. And I thought, oh, cool, a little Cleveland joint. Well, no, that was actually McDonald's. <laughs> Because they, they said that because they knew I wouldn't go if they said that. Anyway, we came back at 7 a.m. And we're immediately introduced to Mom's Kitchen. Andy's wife, Ruth, had put together a breakfast for everybody, I believe, that day. Then she rapidly got into making the entire staff lunch in Mom's Kitchen. The center and the heart of the business, it's completely centered around Andy's wife, Ruth's kitchen. That doesn't mean all the calls go from there, right? But it means that smack in the middle of everything between the offices and the warehouses and all that is Ruth's kitchen. That's the absolute expression of Andy and his entire company. And it's the culture of everything that they do. It's actually one of the, it was one of the greatest experiences going to see that never happened before. And at that point, almost 20 years or close, you know, right at 20 years of experience going to and from other businesses. I'd never, ever seen that before. Well, Ruth's always, she's a cook. She loves to cook. So um, that that's good, right? We've got a good source. Seth, my son Seth, ended up going to Johnson and Wales. He's the only, only one of our uh, three boys that went to college, and he went to Johnson and Wales in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, to study culinary. Seth had a background in culinary and really understood how important it is to to have that. And it's pretty popular today too. It's popular in, you know, startups, software companies, and there's, you know, snacks, kitchen. We kind of just adopted that whole thing. And, and, and we did it from, I think Seth had a lot of influence in, in the reason why we did that, because it is true. And, and Joe said it at the time, we, I think Ruth made tacos, if I'm not mistaken. You know, we're all standing around crunching on these tacos and they're falling, everything's falling on the floor and stuff. And we're all having a great time laughing. And Joe said, you know, this, he said, something I never forgot, which was, this is the heart of the company right here. And it's true. Even today it is, you know, it came from, I think came from Seth's influence and just general knowledge of the industry where things are going. Well, also Andy, the one, the other story that you had shared was before y'all had a building when you guys were just running out of the house. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. We had a house in, uh, East of Cleveland and, um, that's where Wyatt Works started. I did I worked by myself in a truck for years and years and uh, we had a building we built that was detached from the house, and we downstairs, little warehouse kind of thing. And Ruth would make stuff there. She would make little breakfast things for us and snacks and 
So that really was, that's where it started, actually. You know, the guys come, everybody's hungry. And, you know, food is a wonderful thing when, <laughs> when it brings you together. It makes, you know, it creates community, right? You're right, Joe. It started with Ruth at home. And we just took that and we, you know, we shot it full of steroids, basically. And, and we turned it into this mega mom's kitchen. And we've made chili, spaghetti. You come in on a cold winter, northern Ohio day and, and you smell chili cooking. That's a beautiful thing. Coffee brewing. Coffee brewing in the morning, and Dan the, Dan the coffee man comes in and makes coffee for us. Literally, it emanates from that kitchen because it's like being around the dining room table making decisions with your family, and that's the way that the whole entire structure works. They sit down. It emanates from there. Right. Everything comes from that inner brain of the family, which is centered around mom's kitchen, right? So it's very, very cool. It's it's. Uh, Never forget that moment, that day. It'll always live down. And I always want the story to be shared. <laughs> and I think uh, it's one of the coolest things. Andy, tell us about growing up. What was that like? So I grew up in northern Ohio, uh, east of Cleveland, on Lake Erie. My mom and dad were their Depression era people. My dad, you know, he came back from World War II, built a house for our family. I had two siblings that were I think I was an afterthought. I came in a little bit late. So my, I, I grew up uh, with siblings, but the, by the time I was, you know, maybe 10 or 12, they were gone in my family. So I was kind of, an, you know, I kind of lived alone. But my, my dad was a real DIYer. He kind of figured everything out and did it on his own. Plus my grandfather, who I never met, interesting guy, he was from Finland. My mom's parents were from Finland. He was a boat builder in Finland. And he came over and he and my dad built the house together. My mom had that Scandinavian influence, so she she was uh, she was real. I would consider her like neat. She was real neat and tidy. She made us wash between our toes. I remember that whenever we whenever we take a bath. Uh, <laughs> my bed was always made. Our house was always clean. That you know, my dad was a do-it-yourselfer. He was kind of a he was a blue-collar worker, hardworking guy. Very seldom do I remember anybody being called to our house to fix something. We always figured it out how to do it ourselves. And that was something that was instilled in me. He always said, do the hardest part first, which I still carry to this day. If you got a task to do, figure out what's the hardest, do that and get it over with. And then I was thinking about the back neighbors behind me. I had four, I had four kids that I played with, Punky, T.O., Kenny, and Chris. Punky was Carol, T.O. was Timothy Orwin, and Kenny and Chris. And we were like the little rascals. And we hung out together, we rode bikes and all that sort of thing. I had good childhood friends. Solid dad, clean mom, organized mom, and these friends. And the the other thing that was really a big part of their life was church. My parents were church people. I grew up instilled with you know with faith. We did not believe we are we are random hunks of carbon. You know we believed in a creator. Sacred text, the Bible was our playbook for life. That sort of thing. In fact, I remember the the kids from next door would come over to our house before we'd walk to school and my mom would <laughs> my mom would pray and send us off with a prayer every morning that would have been late 50s early 60s when i talking about it. it was being the 60s so family life is good friends are tight what about your first job yeah so working was essential my dad sponsored a program called junior achievement which was a this thing that they used to take high school kids and try to help them out and get them started in a career. I had to mow the lawn there, which I hated. And so I'd, I'd go there and mow, they'd mow the lawn. They paid me some money. My uncle asked me to mow the lawn, Uncle Watson. He was persnickety and he had a big lawn. 
had to clean the lawn. He had a big old John Deere tractor. I, I learned that's where I learned to love John Deere's. Then the Mrs. Condon next door, she had me mow the lawn. So I had like four lawns I started mowing. The first thing I started doing was mowing lawns, and I made some money doing that, which was good. It was like the first time I actually started bringing in some revenue. I actually saved my money. I bought a pickup truck. I looked in the newspaper. There was no online. I bought a pickup truck for 125 bucks. It was a uh, International B120. Look it up sometime if you're listening. B120 was one of the ugliest trucks ever made. It was it was a robin's egg blue Rust belt, rusty, horrible looking thing, and missing a missing a headlight, but it ran. So I I bought it. I brought it home. I probably was sixteen, seventeen years old, and um, I didn't know anything about how to fix trucks. I mean, I didn't know anything about it. Right? So, but I my, my one of my best friends, Chip's uh, dad, Mister Mackey, he's a really good mechanic. So I, I took it over to him, and this guy had a, a vintage airplane in his backyard. He worked on airplanes. He was he was a machinist. He had one of those Tesla coils in his basement. You know those things with the that have the sparks come off and you can hold a fluorescent light up to it and it lights that your hair stands on end? Mr. Mackey was a, like a Frankenstein thing in the basement. So he was a really cool guy. And so I figured if anybody knew how to fix this old truck, he would. And sure enough, he, he did. He We took the spark plugs out to check compression. It had different size spark plugs in it. I took that thing apart and I rebuilt it. You know, I got a friend. We got rid of all the rust. We put new Bondo in it and, and, and painted it, put the side, sideboards on it. And I started the Andrew, <laughs> the Andrew P. Wyatt hauling company, got business cards printed up. And I actually, I actually started working probably 16, 17 years old. I was driving this tr- truck around and hauling refrigerators and scrap metal and brush and whatnot to the dump. And so that was really my fo- first most fulfilling job I think that I ever had. And it was an entrepreneurial job. I th- and I did the math at the end, Evans. I think I figured out I, ma- I made just as much as I spent. <laughs> I had a, Nero, a zero net gain on that one. But I learned a lot. Learned about trucks and engines and, you know, people and that sort of thing. Well, that's kind of typical for the course with Andy is as far as I've seen is when, when he puts something on his shoulders – then it's up to him to get it done and he does it. You know, it's not that he goes out and looks for a job with somebody else as an employer. Andy, when it's time to do something, Andy goes out and figures out how to do it. You know, you'll get to see it throughout what he talks about. It'll be very interesting. And that's what I think you can go back to my dad for, right? He, my dad built his own house and he fixed his own things. And if you grow up like that, you, you really don't think about, doing it any other way. So I have to give him credit on that end of things. I did hire some folks, by the way, too. I just remembered that. I did hire some team members. We had some team players in this thing. Uh, I'd forgotten about that. So I actually had employees working for me at the time. It didn't last very long. It, it, finally, the engine blew, and that was the end of it. My, I ended up marrying my Ruth, my, my high school s- sweetheart. I used to pick her up in the truck, and it was it was a real hoot to do that. I, I, let me think about where we went. I was, you know, 16, 17. I, I was, obviously wasn't doing any plumbing or had any interest in plumbing at that time. I did have a, a real big interest in, I bought a reel-to-reel tape recorder at Radio Shack. I had found an old turntable from a radio station, and I built a console, put it all together. My friends would come over, and we'd make these tapes. We'd make these little stories. Uh, we had a like a military speaker we put in a tree in the front yard and we broadcasted to the neighbors, which was really fun. And then we got into uh, 
Super 8 movie cameras. We started doing filming. So I loved, I loved the idea of audio and video. It was just fun at that time. This is before video cameras. audio and film, I should say. I remember one time we took all my parents' furniture out of the living room and put it in the front yard, did a stop-motion video or stop-motion movie. I really pursued that as my career. That, I wanted to get into that and really do that. I got a job at a radio station, locals, AM radio station. It was a little dinky town station, but I, I would take the microphone out and interview like I'd go to the, to the uh, Maple Festival, which was a carnival, and I'd interview the carnies and talk to them and do news stories. And they paid me $2 a story for the news stories. Then I ended up going to Kent State University and got a, a, working on a degree in telecommunications, which was radio and TV and film. That was a really cool. I, I worked for WKSU, the radio station. I actually submitted a, a, a news story to uh, All Things Considered, on national public radio, and they aired the dang thing. I couldn't believe it. There was a world, listen to this, a World War I convention of World War I soldiers. This was in, I don't know, this but it must have been in the 70s, I guess. Anyhow, to make a long story short, they played the darn thing. That was my 15 minutes of fame. How do you get into the professional home services industry? My wife was working at the time. We were married. She was supporting me going to school. We didn't have enough money. I needed another job. I, I had to make some other money part-time. And she said, I know, I, I heard there's a plumber that, that is uh, looking for part-time work. I went and applied. He said, you can work for me Tuesdays and Thursdays. I go to school Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I started working for Aaron and Lee Newberg, father and son team. It's been, been in business for 25 years. I liked it. It was fun. It was, I got to meet all these interesting people, go in their houses and talk to them, you know. I did that for quite a while with Lee, probably probably a year or two. And uh, tragically, his father uh, passed away. He needed somebody to run the calls for him. I started, you know, filling in more and more. And finally, Lee said, "I want to get out of this thing. I don't want to do this anymore." So I was a junior at Kent. I thought, "Oh my, he's you know he wants to get out. What are you going to do?" So he he gave me a mid nineteen seventies Chevy Impala station wagon with the back seats folded down, full of plumbing parts the answering machine, and the phone number for 3500 bucks. And I said, okie doke. And I talked to Ruth and she said, you want to do it? And I said, yeah, why not? So I, I stopped going to school. And uh, by this time, we had built our own house. We had built it just like my dad, by the way. We built it with our own two hands. And um, we had five kids. We had raised five kids. And she was in mom's kitchen cooking food and answering the phone. And I was out running around in a station wagon fixing people's plumbing. Everybody loved Ruth. She was charming on the phone. Pure mom and pop, you know, really just the best. And everybody loved Andy the plumber. I would come over and have these wonderful conversations with him and sit around and have coffee together. There really were two people that did not love Andy the plumber. One of them was Mrs. Benjamin. Mrs. Benjamin was the accounting clerk at the local plumbing supply house. And I wasn't paying my supply bills on time. So when I'd come in, they would say, Andy, you got to go back and talk to Mrs. Benjamin, which was like going to the principal's office. It was bad. The second person that didn't like me, didn't love me or Ruth was the, uh, was the uh, local IRS agent because we weren't paying our taxes. You were on payroll. You know, you took all the money, you just put it in your, you just put it in a bank account and wrote your, and you paid, you bought your groceries, you know? And it wasn't, I was in, it just wasn't that we were intentionally trying to, not pay our taxes. We didn't have enough money to pay our taxes, period. And that just continued to plummet. As the mortgage went up and as the children got older and as expenses rose, our income didn't go. And, and, and pretty soon the bill collectors started calling. 
I wasn't too bright because all I had to do was increase my prices, but for some reason I didn't figure that out right away. There was a moment in time when when I I was at that I was at the bottom of the, I mean it was bad it was it was very discouraging I was really under a lot of stress I was getting these calls I was going to be foreclosed on I go back to my mom praying for us in the kitchen in the morning and I remember being in the in my in this old rusted out Toyota piece of junk van and I pounded on the steering wheel and I prayed and I said God you've got to help me. Two weeks later, Bob McHugh, my plumbing buddy friend, said, there's a guy coming to Cleveland, Frank Blau, his name is, and he's going to have a seminar and he's going to teach independent contractors how to run their businesses. So you've got to be kidding me. Went there. Frank Blau taught me, basically taught me the, the financial side of the trade. And I was charged an X amount per hour. I went back, switched over to flat rate and went up to almost $200 per sold hour on flat rate and went out the next day. Came back instead of bringing home three hundred fifty bucks, I brought home like thirteen hundred bucks. And Ruth said, "How did it go? What did the customers say?" I said, "They didn't say anything. They didn't even notice a difference." And that's that kind of sent us that sent us in the right direction. Frank helped us to go go in the in the right in the right pathway. Um, I got to thank him for that. And Frank was one of the founders of Nextar. So I, I consider that an answer to prayer. I mean, that was that was a direct answer that, that really helped our family out quite a bit. You know, things improved after that. We started doing well. We were attending a, a very large church at the time, and I, I offered to offer my services. They were looking. They were looking for um, people to help out in the nursery. You know, and they needed helpers. And this church had a big screen and everything, a big t- uh, video screen. I said, well. I could probably make a, a video for you guys that, you know, would, that could be help get this campaign rolling. They said, sure, come on and do it. So I did it. And it was a smash success. A lot of folks signed up for it. One of the administrators of the church approached me and said, hey, would you like to come on board and become the director of the AV department in our, in our church? This is a big operation. You know, this is a big move. We can't hire you full time, though. We can only hire you 20 hours a week. And of course, yeah, this is it. Boy, I've arrived, you know. Okay, now I've got it, you know. Now I've, I've got, you know, the message from above. I'm, I'm, I'm in my field that I love, and I felt like I died and gone to heaven. And I worked there for about a year or two years, and, and I hired a plumber to, to fill in for me. Problem is, when you hire a plumber, don't hire a drunk. That's good advice. <laughs> and he was a good guy. He wasn't drinking on the job, but he was drinking after the job. And I, and I had to forego my job at the church because I, they weren't offering me full time. And that was a very difficult thing for me. I had psychological, spiritual, physical uh, collapse. I did. I really had. I, I just imploded on the inside. And it was a tough time for us because I, I, I thought, I actually said to myself, I don't, I don't buy all this stuff. I think this whole, I think this whole religious thing's a fabrication. And I kind of walked away from my faith that I was taught. That was my biggest mistake, not keeping my emotions in check. I went off the rails and instead of standing strong. And I think... Ultimately, too, Evan, I think that has to do with not being selfless. I was thinking too much of myself. I had a family. Okay, I can't play with the video stuff. Okay, big deal. Get over it. Don't cry in your beer. I didn't do that. 
And I regret that. I wish I, I wish I had been stronger at the time, but I wasn't. So how did I work through it? I went for quite a while in the same state. I was a good dad. Don't get me wrong. I, I still love my kids and took care of my kids. But the spiritual side of Andy was, was off, was turned off. It wasn't there. And I haven't shared this with too many people, but my, one of my daughters, Grace, who, who ended up going to OU, party college, big party school. You know, her dad wasn't pointing her in the right direction in that aspect of her life. Go ahead and go to school, do what you want to do. That's fine. Great. We had gotten a phone call from Athens, Ohio, where the school was. Your daughter has been involved in an accident. She was riding a bicycle on St. Patty's Day, drunk with her friend, flew off the front of the bike and hit her forehead. She's unconscious and she had to be life lighted to Columbus. I got that call in the middle of a stormy night and um, with my best friend and my son, Seth, we got, and we were in Charlotte, North Carolina at the time. We were in Charlotte. I had to drive that night through the rain up into Columbus to, to see my daughter. I walked, we walked in with my, my wife and my, it was, you know, it was just an absolutely horrific, horrific event. We didn't know if she's going to live, she's going to die, what's going to happen to her. When you're in those situations at night at the hospital, you don't know if it's day or night, there's no windows or anything. I was walking around just shaken inside, just terrified. And there was a, a group of like hell's angels that came into the hospital with leather jackets on, long hair, and they were motorcycle riders. And they walked up to me and I, I looked at them and I was just chitty chatty. And I said, man, I hope you guys wear helmets out there. Thinking about my grace. So she said, he said, why is that? I said, well, my daughter was just involved in a bicycle accident. She hit her head and there was dried blood on her head, on her face, Evan. She was laying there. Her heartbeat was 40 beats a minute, unconscious. We didn't know what was going to happen. The lead of the, the Hells Angels guy looks at me and says, what's her name? I said, her name is Grace. And he says, do you mind if we pray with her? And they walked past, and they weren't Hells Angels. They had crosses on their back. There were Christian bikers that came to the hospital just to comfort folks. And they came into the room, and the first guy gets down on his knees, puts his hands on grace. Other ones put all their hands on him, and he prays a prayer. And grace's left leg flies up in the air, and her heartbeat goes up. And at that moment in time, I turned my, my life around, and I said, okay, this is where I'm headed. And I want to take that to my grave. That was the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> you know, that was the best thing. Jeez, Andy. Wow. Whew. By the way, she's a certified nurse today. She's doing great. Very healthy young lady. She's going. Uh, she's going on a three three week uh, hike in Montana. In uh, in two weeks from now. Wow. What about what's your biggest success? You know, what's what's the one that you're most proud of? Ah, good question. Um. I'm on the radio. I'm back on the radio, thanks to Joe. I've got my own recording studio in my office, and I get to do what I wanted, always wanted to do. So that's one thing. <laughs> that's one of the coolest things. He's, he, he goes and we say, hey, you can go to the radio station and record. The next thing we know, they had built an upstairs to their warehouse where his office is, and he's taken a section of that, and he's created a full-on recording studio. 
<laughs> professional mic, soundproof, the whole nine yards, that it's when it's time for them to record an ad, they go into that booth and record that ad. Yeah. It's, it's, I've never had a client do that, but it, I don't even know how much he spent doing it, but I know it took him about, what was it, four, four months or so, something like that. And then he comes out and he tells us, hey, I've done this. I've only got one thing left. And we're like, what? You did, you built a recording studio. And he's like, oh, this, I'm having the time of my life. This is the favorite thing I've ever done in my whole business. Yeah. And we're like, well, hell yeah, I keep doing it. <laughs> so right. he figured out all kinds of crazy stuff and, and soundproofing and, he, he had just had an absolute blast. Andy, there's a couple things about you that really drew us to you. And I think vice versa, because the things that we cared about early on with you were a couple of the things that you guys shared. Some of it was absolute hilarity. Um, because remember, plumbing in Cleveland can be very, very cold. One of my favorite stories is, you know, remember these... When, when Andy was plumbing, the kids, and he, did, he wasn't making a lot of money, the kids would be often with him learning to be plumbers at very young ages. They're slightly younger than us, just a little. They're, most, they're in their 30s. So that means that they're, it's not that they're, they had any old school. This was, you know, this wasn't back in the 70s and 80s. This was in the 90s. There, there's three things that Andy talks about, and One's the kids keeping warm with a sterno can in the back of the station wagon. And, <laughs> and, uh, and I'd like him to talk about that. Another one is, um, no way to reach a pipe they were trying to fix unless they were holding the kid to do it. <laughs> and the other one, uh, having a client in high heels push start his car. Oh yeah. Yeah. The high heels is good. That. That van that I was at the bottom of the hill I talked about when I was d- despondent, that was a, one of those Toyota snub-nosed front-end vans. I don't know if you remember those things. You sat on the engine, and this thing was – I, I paid a 1000 bucks for it. It didn't go in reverse. I was working for a banker and his wife in Shaker Heights. They had an imported cobblestone driveway from Italy. She liked me. I mean, we were – we got along really well, and she had me do all this fancy stuff in her house, and we did bathroom remodeling. I mean, it was a lot of fun, and there was you know unlimited funds, and she was like a movie star, beautiful. She had an Italian accent. She was really pretty, and they, and she had a maid. She had a housekeeper all the time. I would go over and we'd talk, and then we'd fix things, and I'd go back out. Well, one time I I made a huge mistake. I pulled the van in all the way forward and parked alongside of her car, and I totally forgot. We got all done. I walk out and I go, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't back this thing out of here. So what am I going to do? So I go inside and ask her. She comes out laughing with the maid. She's in her high heels and she and the maid push me down the cobblestone driveway with her high heels on, laughing the whole way. Andy the plumber, you know, here, here he goes. But you know that the thing about it is the reason she laughed about it was because we had a great relationship, right? She knew who I was and she didn't really care what my van looked like, which, which is important, right? That's an important thing for everybody going forward is to, you know, get to know your customers and take care of them. Good customer service. We had a van like that growing up, which is why I recall the story well, because there were frequent times you did have to pop the clutch to make it, to make it get on, get going down the road. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The story about the, it wasn't a station wagon. We had a, we had a sob. It was an old rusted out sob and the heat heater didn't work in it. In the winter in Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah. 
my son Luke worked with me for a few weeks. We homeschooled our kids. My mom gave him a, a sleeping bag. So he'd climb in the sleeping bag when we, when we get in the sob in the morning. And uh, we had a torch, you know, a, a plumbing torch to heat up, and we'd fire the torch up, and we, we used it to heat the car on the way into work. The interesting thing about that job, Evan, is we repiped a seven-bathroom house. It was a historic house in Shaker Heights. It was it was built by the founders of Shaker Heights, the guys that built it originally. It was a really big historic house on North Park. We did the whole thing out of that sob. It took us three months. Before that story was clarified as to what was happening, I thought you guys were heating the engine block with the torch. And then later on, no, I found out a few years, you know, a couple of years down the road, no, they were heating the inside of the car. <laughs> yeah, we're keeping ourselves warm. But uh, my other, the other picture that is in my mind that I, I wish I had a video of <laughs> is, is the other story that, that Andy gets to share. <laughs> well, there's two of those. At one point, you had to go somewhere, so you had to leave the boys. But this one is the water main broken in, in Cleveland. You guys were the ones out there having to fix it. But the only way to get to it was to drop a kid down inside that water main. Well, we had a yeah, it was a pump system actually, and it was um, it was real narrow. You couldn't climb down in. You couldn't climb in because if you you went down in feet first, you couldn't even bend over to work on it. Which is pretty stupid because if you drop the kid, that would be devastating. <laughs> we, we all, two of us held him by, by his legs and dropped him in, and he made the repair. And we pulled him out, we were done, you know. <laughs> Andy has a 1950s value style of doing the job a certain kind of way. And if it's not done right, I'd like Andy to say, it. I don't want to say it. I guess the best way to describe it is, you know, I mean, you want to be treat other people like you want to be treated, right? It's very easy in business to be, again, to be self-centered and to think only of ourselves as a business owners. How can we make money? How can, how can we make this scheduling work to our advantage? We, instead, what we should be doing is thinking, being selfless and thinking about the customer, having empathy, listening to what they have to say. Really important. And it's hard to do. I mean, we're not naturally that way. We're, we're wired to be the opposite. But it, we, it's the right thing to do, right? It's the right way to be. So what I tell my guys is, unfortunately, we're, we're not a nonprofit. We have to charge money to pay for everything that we need to pay for. So we can you know, have good trucks that don't leak oil on the driveway, offer health insurance. I tell my guys, today's shortcut can be tomorrow's problem too. Do, you know, we want to do the right thing, treat them right, and then and, and fix the thing right. Fix it right, right. Do it all thoroughly all the way through to the end. You have to go back to my mom and dad and what they instilled in me and what I instilled in my boys, you know, is be ethical about it and do the right thing. Can I tell that story about the why we moved into the building in Charlotte? We were in Cleveland cranking. Phone was ringing. Radio ads are blasting. People are calling us up saying wallakadoodle. And, and it's, it's just been, it's been a really big deal. And, and Seth was down in Charlotte. Phone's not ringing very much. We're, we're doing you know, home advisor and Angie's list, paying all this money. We're getting these mediocre leads coming in. So Seth said, why don't we call these guys? Let's see what we can do. So Joe and, and Jeff, I believe, came down. We took them on a tour of Charlotte, driving on. We had coffee. We had breakfast. We're, you know, shooting the breeze, talking about ideas and how we can do whatnot. And, and, and Joe kept looking for storefronts. Yeah, nothing really jived. And then we're driving south on 77, just out of Charlotte. And we and, and Joe looks over to the right and he sees this vine-covered concrete cube 
sitting right next to the freeway with a with a bunch of you know trash laying around her, and he goes, "Buy that building." I said, "What do you mean buy that? I can't buy that building." And he said, "Pull off the next exit." We pull off the next exit. We drive around. We find the back end of it. And this place is a trash heap. I mean, it's just a steel fence and rubbish everywhere, computer monitors laying in the weeds and stuff. I said, oh, yeah, I'm not going to do it. So we left, and, and anyhow, we, we, we go away. And I said, okay, I'm going to look into this building. My son's friend, who is a realtor, has been trying to get a hold of this property forever. He can't, get, he can't find the guy. The guy won't call him back. He won't, you know, doesn't respond. I typed in the address. The old Google Map info was still online. It was a print shop. And there was a phone number on it, so I dialed the phone number. Somebody picks up, and I said, "Hey, I'm a I'm a plumber, and I'm I'm interested in uh, possibly talking to your dad, or not talking to you, talking to you about buying a building." And, and the son says, "Hold on, my my dad's here." Hands the phone to his dad, and and there was a water main leak that sprung up in the property. This guy lived in Georgia. The property was abandoned. He got a high water bill because he still had the water turned on. So he came racing up there to fix the leak. And his son hands him a phone and says, hey, there's a plumber on the phone that wants to talk to you. <laughs> so I, I called him up and I said, do you want to, you know, are you interested in possibly leasing this building to me? And he goes, well, maybe so. I don't know. He goes, well, I'm here now. You want to come talk to me? I took Ruth and... And my son, Seth, and his girlfriend in the car, we all jumped in and we drove over there and pulled in, drove in the driveway. This place was a mess. It was disgusting. And he's standing up there in the loading dock looking at me. He says, my name is Gay. <laughs> and, I, and I said, okay. He says, I'm either a homosexual or I'm a real happy guy. <laughs> and I said, well, wow, I, I can't believe that we got a hold of you. He goes, yeah, I live in Georgia. And he goes, I'm, I'm just happened to be here fixing this this uh, this water leak. I said, I'm really lucky that, that I got a hold of you. And he goes, I don't believe in luck. I believe in Jesus Christ. And I thought, okay, I've had enough. I've had a few of these Jesus Christ uh, interventions in my life. Maybe I should listen to this guy. We end up buying the place from him. I can't believe we bought it. It, it cost us $50,000 to remove all the junk, literally. But now we got this really slick building right on 77. Looks like a million bucks. And we've got Wally Cadoodle up there. Wally, the, the, our, our mascot, sit 30 feet in the air, 12 feet tall, and he lights up at night. I got to give Joe credit on that. I mean, that was a big, big positive move for why it works. And now, you know what Seth's complaint is? I need more trucks, Dad. He, he's, he's got plumbers coming out. You know, I mean, Charlotte's full of plumbers. There's so many, there's many more plumbers and there was so much construction in Charlotte. They're, 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 they they come out of the woodwork. They're like ants and they're, and he's got a sign on the side of the building that says wanted three plumbers. And he's got the three crossed out. And next to that, he puts a two and then he crosses out the two and he puts a one in it. And when they, they see that sign, they, they start coming in. I got to give you credit on that, Joe. That was a, well, thank you. That's that a big was, plus, big plus. Well, it was a gigantic leap of faith on your part. Especially yeah. when you figured out the $50,000. Now, I will say, I live far away from there. But when I did show up the next year, not the next year, but by the time it all worked itself out, I came there. They were doing some construction, but still doing some cleanup. And on that day, I did jump in and start helping. Yes, you did. Yep. You hauled some, I think we hauled a bunch of scrap away. Yep. We hauled a bunch of crap out of there. We both pulled it out of the building and hauled it away and stacked a bunch of, 
it was, we saved everything that could be saved to right. rebuild stuff. Right. Exactly. And now it's a giant freeware, clean warehouse and office. The remodel is absolutely gorgeous. Um, you know, the office remodel is just phenomenal, beautiful. Um, if that by itself sold plumbing jobs, geez, they should just open that up as the window and let people see that. You know, well, well, you know what it way. what it does, Joe, is it it sells the business to uh, can, candidates. Yeah. When when it, when, a, when a potential candidate walks in and a plumber, and it, it, you know, it looks like you're walking into a, uh, you know, a graphic design studio or something. Um, yeah. And you go, wow. How about books, podcasts, audiobooks? What are you invested in there? The Bishop's Sons. It's a book on the the life of Orville and Wilbur Wright. Fascinating book. Ruth and I just went, we just drove up the coast of North Carolina. We've never been on the Outer Banks, and we stopped at Kitty Hawk, and we um, we went to the museum and everything. They were incredible, those guys. And and, and it come, actually it comes back to their father, Milton. Uh, he was he was a bishop, yeah, from Dayton, Ohio. I, I recommend that book to anybody. It's a, it talks about invent how to be inventive, discipline. They were very cautious about the way they they tested the wind and, and gliders before they put the motor on it. And you can apply that to business. I'm going to do a whole bunch of mailers. I want to figure out, you know, which ones are going to work. Well, don't just try ten of them and see which ones come back right first. That, simple stuff like that. So take me back again, Andy, if you could go back to 21-year-old you and you could give yourself one piece of advice, what would that be? I would say consistency is the key to progress, I guess. Slow and steady wins the race. Progress is defined by our success and failures. You know, we And failures can be our best experiences. There's another book called The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. The Obstacle is the Way. The obstacle is the way because it tells you what isn't the way. When something comes up and gets in your path, now you know what not to do. Now you know what to avoid. We're going to run into all kinds of problems all the time. I just had a guy leave this morning. He decided to go work and uh, help veterans. Honorable guy. He had uh, tears in his eyes when he left. He's been volunteering his time. He's going to leave Wyatt Works, and he's going to go full-time as an administrator to help veterans that are struggling. I look at that and we think, okay, wait a minute. We need technicians. We got ourselves an inside deal with the veterans now, right? We might be able to replace him with 10 bodies instead of one. So that's a perfectly good example. If It appears to be an obstacle, but in reality, it could become successful. So I think having more about the glasses half full attitude than glasses half empty. On this episode, Andy Wyatt. Joe canned the word wallacadoodle. Well, wallacadoodle your plumbing. And we we had a, one, a final inspection on one of our buildings in Charlotte that uh, probably about two months ago. And um, good old boy Charlotte inspector walks in the door and walks up to Seth, looks at him and says, wallacadoodle. <laughs> I can't believe I never heard that before. <laughs> Find more info at primedincome.com. All right, Evan, turn the recording off.